Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you both very much. That was really helpful. Um, and I think you're going to find a lot of similarities with the sermon today. So, But before I begin, I want to say again, welcome. Welcome to all of you here, but also welcome to those of you who are online. We don't get to see you in the same way, but we, we know you're out there and we, uh, we just send you our love. And, and today I want to do a special shout out to my mother-in-law, Medusri Bose, who is tuning in from Martinez, California. Hi, Ma. Uh, the other item I wanted to share uh, with you is that we have a, a death this past week. Bill Arnold passed away. Uh, Bill was 94. Bill uh, and his brothers ran Arnold Brothers Ford that was an auto dealership not far from here. And many of you old timers will remember them for in that. Bill was a great guy and his service is going to be this coming Saturday, the 21st at 11 a.m. in the chapel. So uh, make note of that. Okay, we are in a sermon series called Made for Us, and as you've seen by now, it's about the Sabbath, about rest, and the challenges and the benefits and opportunities that this gives us. And today we're going to look at the Sabbath commandment, really the core text on the Sabbath. So let me invite you to, we're going to do uh, two different books, Exodus and Deuteronomy. We're going to look at both versions. So let's start with Exodus, and we're going to look at Exodus 20, beginning at verse 1. Imagine Moses coming down from Mount Sinai with the twin tablets of the Ten Commandments and sharing with the people of Israel at the slopes of, on the base of Mount Sinai, these words. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Folks, note that, that before we get to law, we have grace. God is the gracious God who redeems, who delivers, who brings freedom. Uh, God declares this first of all. I'm the one who brought you out of slavery. And now out of that word of grace comes the Ten Commandments, comes the law. Verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me, first commandment. Second commandment. You shall not make for yourself an image. The old words were graven image. In the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Stop for a moment. This reminds us that as human beings, we are worshiping creatures. We will worship. And the question is, what will we worship? Will it be God most high where there is liberty and freedom, or will it be something else? This commandment gets at that. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Isn't that an insight we now have too? That there is an intergenerational aspect to human sin. And we see that, that sin, sinful patterns can be passed down from uh, generation to generation. But notice there are only three or four generations. Now compare it to this next verse. But God says that he's the one showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now we move on, the next commandment. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. In other words, take his name in vain. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now we come to the fourth commandment, 
the hinge, the helpful hinge we're calling it today, the Sabbath commandment. Remember the Sabbath day. Sabbath meaning seize or stop. Also, it's the root of the word seven. Remember Shabbat. It's the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Kadosh, set apart. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, there's an intergenerational aspect of blessing, nor your male or female servant, an economic and social aspect of blessing, nor your animals, now there's a surprise, livestock and agriculture involved, nor any foreigner residing in your town, the alien, the stranger. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That is the first half of the commandments. Now comes the second half, the human word ones. We'll quickly touch on these. Verse 12, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Now we're going into the human heart and its motivations. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now that's the Exodus text. Rooted in it is this hinge, this hinge, this healthy hinge between the Godward commands and the human word commands. There's this hinge, this hinge of rest. And it's based on creation, that God creates all of our uh, human order and the earth itself with this rhythm of work and rest. Keep that in mind as we go to the Deuteronomy text to compare it. Deuteronomy 5, verse 12. Moses is repeating the Ten Commandments in this case. Observe this Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you in the book of Exodus. Six days you shall, do, you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox or your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. So that, this is key, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. God levels the ground socially and economically. All are entitled to rest. This is dramatic. And here's the reason why. Verse 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Exodus, Sabbath rooted in creation. Deuteronomy, Sabbath rooted in redemption and deliverance from slavery. It's a blessing and it's one that we want to consider today. So let's pray as we do. Lord, open our hearts and minds to the possibilities of this gift of rest. For Jesus' sake, amen. I want to share with you three snapshots of Sabbath. The first snapshot comes from modern-day Jerusalem, where I visited with a pilgrimage for the first time in the 1990s. And we were uh, staying in a high-rise hotel in the west section of Jerusalem, And it was Saturday, and uh, there were several banks of elevators, and there was one over here I noticed was special. It was an elevator that was programmed that day 
to stop on every floor. And I wondered about that. Why would the elevator do that? Well, it was the Sabbath elevator. And for Orthodox observant Jews, the act of pushing a button to summon an elevator and get it to move is an act of work. And on the Sabbath, they don't want to do that. And so the very elevator was programmed to stop at every floor. That's one snapshot. Another was is from the time I spent in England, right after college, I was working in London at a Christian Institute. And I quickly learned that if you wanted to go shopping, you better do it on Saturday because on Sunday, all the stores are closed. You can remember some of you back in this country that we used to have blue laws. Well, when I was there in the mid 1980s in England, everything shut down on, on Sundays. It was a day of rest. Third snapshot. Before I came here 20 years ago, I pastored in Oakland, California, in the Glenview District. And our church was neighbors with an Orthodox Jewish synagogue. And if I went to the church on Saturday, I would see these families, these Jewish families, walking to synagogue services. Now, why was that? Well, it was because it was a Sabbath, and they were permitted to go a Sabbath day's journey, a short walk. And get this, they all purchased their homes in that district within a Sabbath day's walk of the synagogue. Well, friends, that was then. Uh, That was them, and that was there. What about us today, here and now? Well, I think we need to examine this healthy hinge, and we need to unpack it. We need to explore our resistance to this idea of regular rest. Because I want to make the case that rest gives us clarity of vision, sanity of mind, and health of body. Regular rest, this rhythm of rest, gives us many good gifts. In fact, studies show that regular rest provides all kinds of healthy benefits for our minds and bodies. Here's what I've discovered. According to studies, a regular rhythm of rest promotes mental health and improves mood. So we're not grumpy or cranky. Regular rest boosts creativity, increases productivity, reduces stress, and helps your body rest, repair, and recover. It's a gift of God. Rest also replenishes our relationships. You know, don't you, that God made us for four main relationships with God, with each other, with ourselves, and with the created order, the environment around us. And sin in Genesis chapter 3 is our willful rebellion against God that breaks all four of those relationships. And what God is doing in Jesus Christ in the whole scope of the Bible story is repairing those relationships. And Sabbath is a way that that occurs in in a significant fashion. Four main relationships are being repaired if we will allow God room to work. The other thing regular rest does is it creates more room for compassion. I read recently of uh, an experiment that was done in 1973 on Princeton Seminary students in New Jersey. They were divided by the researchers into three groups. And uh, the first group, they said to them, you need to go to the preaching lab and preach a sermon and you are late, so get over there now. And off they rushed. To the second group, they said, you need to go preach a sermon at the lab as well, but you still have some time, but you might want to get going. Off they went. Third group, they said to them, you need to preach, you got lots of time, but be sure you're there about 2 p.m. today. 
and all three groups made their way to the preaching lab. But the researchers hired a professional actor to dress up as a, as a person in need and, and be sprawled on the sidewalk as they passed by. Guess who helped him? It wasn't the first group because they were in too big a hurry. It wasn't the second group because they were anticipatory and in a hurry as well. The people who helped him were the third group, the people who weren't in a hurry. When we slow down, we can have space for compassion. Let's keep on going. Regular rest can help us confront our compulsions. I think this is why we can be sad sometimes when we rest. It's because all week long we've been going, 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 and when we stop, we have to deal with some other stuff. I remember when I got therapy for the first time in seminary, the therapist shared with me a story that apparently was common with therapists. It was about the man with compulsions and how they interacted with him, the therapist. Apparently there was this fellow who came into the therapist's office and he said, Doc, I got this problem. I got this problem with my gestures. I, I gesture here and I gesture there and I can't seem to stop gesturing and it's starting to hurt my relationships and people don't want to listen to me anymore and, and people are ignoring me and avoiding me. What do I got to do, Doc? Help me out. And the therapist said, let's do an experiment. Sit on your hands and let's talk. And so he did. And the therapist asked him, what do you feel right now? He said, well, Doc, I, I feel small. Well, it turns out the fellow was short of stature. And he was gesturing like this to make himself feel bigger and more important. And when we slow down and we address and stop our compulsions, we get an inside view of what's actually going on in our lives. And then God can work on it. It helps us confront our compulsions. Well, friends, I know you well enough and I know myself well enough to know that we all know the benefits of rest. We all know how important it is, but we struggle to make it part of our lives. Why is this? Well, there are a couple reasons that have occurred to me. Number one, as Americans, we chafe under rules and regulations. We're all about freedom, and it's usually freedom from restraints. And so we can come to Sabbath and think, oh, great, one more thing. I got to do. And so we push back. Secondly, as Christians, we're suspicious of legalism, of a bunch of do's and don'ts to presumably earn God's favor. And we should be suspicious of legalism. That's not how you get right with God. God receives us in his grace and mercy, and we don't have to do a bunch of rules. And so legalism is a concern. Then think about those of us in the, all of us in the digital age, we now are available 24-7, and the very nature of our work has changed. And so whether it's through our smartphones or Zoom or anything else, we are on all the time. What does it mean to work or rest? But let's take it even deeper. What's at the core of our resistance to rest? Well, I think it has to do with getting our identity from our work. My dad is a retired German architect and in Germany, if you're an architect or any person who has a profession, you say this. In German, he would say, Ich bin Architekt. There is no indefinite article. They say, I am architect. I am pastor. I am whatever. And so our identities get wrapped up in our work. And we turn human being into human doing. 
We get messages from our parents at such an early age and from our teachers and our coaches and our bosses that we are the sum total of what we produce. And so we better do a good job. And so there's this existential aspect that our security and our significance are wrapped up in our work. And on some level, I wonder if we're afraid that if we cease working, we will cease to exist. Now, walk with me here. Think about this. Think about the phrase when someone dies. What do we say? We say, rest in peace. They can't work, they're dead. Rest in peace. Not working, death. Why then would we have a cemetery? A cemetery, by definition, the original Greek root of it is a place of sleep. Rest, sleep is for those who are dead. I actually heard a person say, it was a busy person who said, I'll rest when I'm dead. There's something existential that we often get wrapped up in. And you know what? This goes back to the earliest days of sin where we have misplaced God in our lives for our work. And so in order to find security and significance, we don't get that from God and God's love. We get it from our work. And what God wants to do is restore us, to provide for us rest and recalibration, to show us what's most important. There's a quote I want to share with you. Let's take a look at it. This is from the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery, which I love to use. Here it is. It's on rest. It's on Shabbat. Rest reorients a person's values. Taking attention off the workaday preoccupation with getting and spending and onto God and spiritual realities. Rest is a form of freedom from work from human striving and acquisitiveness, from worldly preoccupations, a relinquishing of human self-assertion and a trust in God. Don't you want that? I know I do. So what do we do with all of this? What steps can we take to make this more real? Topher, you, uh, you and Lindsay have already begun helping us with this and Carrie the week before and Randy. Well, I think it begins with some self-examination. That's why we have these journals for you, these journals that are available on the, the, the tables out front and in the racks in the back. And if you don't have one of these journals, I've got mine right here, uh, get one. This is for you to take notes about your journey into Sabbath. But we also publish these uh, questions each week for you to reflect on. And they're in this little sheet here that is with the journals. And here are the three questions that I've got you to think about, I would like you to think about. Some say when they relax, they feel guilty. Have you ever felt this? Why? Explore that. Number two, recall a time when you were deeply rested. What made it so? What did it feel like? How might you have that feeling again? Number three, why do you think regular rest is important for relating well to God and others? Hopefully this will get you thinking a little more about the subject. Friends, Sabbath keeping is an act of faith. And it's a, it's a risky act of faith because it, it has to do with the essence of who we are, our identities, our security, our significance. And so it's not a light thing. It's not an easy thing. But remember this. Sabbath is for freedom and joy, not for fear or compulsion. So please, please don't take this on as one more thing to do 
and feel bad about. We need community, we need one another, and you highlighted that so wonderfully, Topher, is that we uh, need others to help us on the journey. Other friends, other neighbors, other church members. Who will that be for you, I wonder? We need to take baby steps. You gotta learn to walk before you can run. It's true about the Sabbath, too. Earl Palmer, my old pastor back in Berkeley years ago, said, we each need to find our work, and we each need to find our rest. And this is an act of our discipleship. What is our work, and what is our rest? And this changes throughout our lives, doesn't it? For the parent who gets their identity for, from parenting their children, when those children leave the home, that work has changed. And that can create a whole host of feelings and needs and issues. We need to find our work newly, and we need to find our rest. What does that mean when you've got small kids? What does that mean? It's going to look different. What does that mean when you retire and you've got a lot more time on your hands? We need to find our work, even then. It'll look different, and we need to find our rest. Well, for me, um, I'm a struggler just like anybody else on this. I, um, I'll let you in on a secret. I work Sundays. <laughs> so Sunday is not my Sabbath. Uh, this is not restful for me, necessarily. Um, so what my day off is Friday, my Sabbath, and I, I'm really good at taking a day off usually, but I'm not sure it's always a Sabbath. Sabbath has another dimension to it. And so I want to learn that. And so I'm trying to introduce into my day off more of the Sabbath practice. And so uh, I'm taking baby steps. I wonder what it'll be like for you. Well, if you're like me, um, you may need to confess that you're not doing such a great job and um, I actually, I've written a prayer of confession for us. And I'm going to do it. I want to say it together, if you're willing. But I want you to read it first. And so um, I'm going to put it up on the screens. And I want you to read it quietly on your own. And then we will pray it, if you're willing. Next slide. Next slide. Next slide. Okay. Are you ready to pray? All right, let's go back to the first slide. Join me, will you? Gracious God, you have made us for rest. You have saved us for rest. In rest, we receive your grace and recover our identity. But we refuse your rest. We wrestle instead to find security and significance in our work, our roles, and our productivity. These idols rob us of joy and freedom. Loving God, restore us. Grant us faith to trust you and courage to receive your rest in regular ways. Let's have some silent prayer for a moment. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen. Receive this pardon from Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. 
In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Friends, in Jesus Christ, we have been forgiven. Believe the good news. Amen.